It is really great to be here, and um, we have been having this conversation for a little while about, let's get Kim down to Tasmania, and I, I, I have been to Tasmania before, but not to here, and it's really, really good to be here, and I've had a, um, a great explore of some of the cafes of Launceston already, and I'm um, just looking forward to spending the day with you guys, and very um, appreciative of the opportunity. And I um, love the, the series that you've been looking at the last couple of weeks, and and started looking at earlier in the year this myth and mysteries series. You know, essentially unpacking relationships and roles and lifting the lid to see what's really in, going on inside there. And anytime we're getting real about relationships and about people, we are aligning ourselves with the very heart of God. So that's a good thing because he is a deeply relational God. We are made in his image. And so we are relational people. People are what matters most to him, as Steve's already said this morning. And how we interact with them, with one another, and how we care for each other matters profoundly to God. And beyond that, Jesus actually says that the world will know that we belong to him by the way that we love each other, by the way that we do these relationships. In... Um, John 13, 35, it says that the love of God is lavished upon us in such a way as it expresses itself that we get to be called the sons and daughters of God, and that is what we are. How great is this love that the Father has lavished upon us? Called the children of God. It's incredible, right? Now, I have a test. I know it's early in the morning, but I believe in you guys. Are you ready? If we, you and I, are the sons and daughters of God... What does that mean we are to each other? Look at you guys go. What a crew. Brothers and sisters, we are family to one another. Family. And we need to get it straight that when God's, all the language around family in Scripture, it's not that we are like family. We are family. It's not a metaphor. It's a reality. We have the same dad, right? So we're family um, together to one another, and we get to be then the way that that we um, that God would express all the love that He has for us. That we get to experience that. That we would be to one another the tangible expression of God's love. Um, to we because we are family. So earlier last year, I changed my job. As I said, it um, transitioned out of being in a local church role to being in a denominational role, and so I had to change churches and community and a whole lot of things that have been happening as part of that. And so I've had to instruct a whole new church family on how to handle me, all right? So I've been giving lessons, there's been meetings, there's a handbook, there's a whole series of YouTube clips, but there's, this one, there's one family that have been really, um, you know, quite significant to me. They've got little kids, and I was heading to their house for, for lunch after church one day, and apparently the conversation that took place in their car started with Mabel, who was five at the time. She said to her dad, does Kimmy have a family? And her dad said, well, yes, you know, mom and a dad, and she's got three brothers. And, and she goes, no, 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 like a family that goes with you. I, th I think she was thinking I'd forgotten to bring them every time I was going somewhere. Like, does she have one? And she doesn't realize they're meant to come. But... <laughs> One that goes with you. And her dad said, oh, no, 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 she doesn't. She just lives by herself. And apparently the car fell silent for a moment. And then she piped up and said, well, her is ours now. Her is ours now. Isn't that beautiful? 
yeah, 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 that's great. But it's not just beautiful, it's actually biblical, right? Because in the Psalms, it says that God places the lonely in families. That's his solution. You know, family as God designed it, as he describes it, it's meant to be a place of inclusion, of belonging, where people are drawn into this incredible thing, where relationship with God as Father and, and being drawn closer to him and to one another then actually draws more people in. We become the family in which God, into which God places the lonely. And that's the message to our biological or nuclear families as well as it is to our broader family of faith, to our church family. We get drawn in and then from that place of belonging and connectedness and love and support and security and all the things that happen there, we are able to welcome others in. Lonely people who are seeking the love and the belonging that we are experiencing ourselves. And so today, I've been invited to speak on the topic of singleness, the myth and the mystery. And here's the bottom line. Normally, as a speaker, you don't give the ending because that gives you permission to now, you know, tune out for the ending. But here's the ending, okay? Here's the summary. You can write it down now and, and you know what today has been about. The myth and the mystery of singleness is that you are not meant to be alone, but the answer isn't marriage, it's family. You're not meant to be alone. You're not meant to be alone at all, but the answer isn't marriage, it's family. Family, of course, includes marriage, but it's the family part that's the solution to our loneliness. It's the myth and the mystery in one. And generally, when a church invites someone to speak on a specific topic, it's because they're an expert on it, and today is no exception to that, because I am pretty much the expert on singleness. So, because I am so single, I wrote a book about it, <laughs> right? Like, next level singleness. And it's, it's pretty much like, it's a professional gig. I am a professional single. Like, you didn't even know that you could be one. That's the, they don't talk to you about that in careers and stuff, you know, like pathways. But it is a thing, and I am it, and it could not be further, though, from what I'd hoped or expected for my life, but it is the reality that I live in. I was previously married. We were married for eight years, and I was obviously quite young because I'm clearly still exceptionally young, although I did listen to a couple of weeks ago and Steve dropped numbers when he was talking about me. You don't talk about a woman's age, Steve. He gave away my secrets. I'm still 27. Also, my counting's not as good as my aging. Um, but but the, the marriage was, was not at all healthy and in fact, quite destructive. And you know, God hates divorce. He, scripture reminds us of that fact, and I agree, because I know why, right? You cannot tear something apart that has been woven together without it being destructive and painful. And it doesn't matter how bad a marriage is, divorce is never good. So, the, you know, it's against everything that God would want for his kids. And the only thing, the exception for that is that I know that what I was experiencing within the marriage was not what he wanted for me either. And so the marriage ended. And while God has done an incredible work of healing and he continues to do his redemptive work in my life, this is most certainly an unexpected version of my life that I'm now living. And so straight out of the marriage ending, God called me into vocational ministry 
And as I navigated that world and, and grew and changed in the role at my church as the church itself grew and changed, what I began to see was something of this unique experience it is to be a single adult in um, an environment that is highly family-focused. And as it should be, church should be champions of marriage, we should be champions of parenting and family and health and wholeness in all of those arenas, but what for the single people who live in that story? experiencing a highly together kind of world alone. And so the question all of that has led me to ask and keep asking and keep leading others to ask is how can the church family be family to those without family? How can the church family be family to those without their own family? In Proverbs 4.7, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> those, you're following so far, right? Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And so my hope for our time together this morning is that we will actually grow in our understanding. That because we don't know what we don't know, and we all look at the world through our own lens, and we navigate life um, through our own experiences and from our own unique viewpoint. And it's easy to be unaware of how others are seeing, thinking, feeling, or processing things. And so this proverb here is our guide. It is wise to seek the wisdom that understanding brings. It might cost us a bit, but it's really worth it. You are not meant to be alone, but the solution is family. So how can the church family be family to those without family? I've got to explore some ideas and perspectives that might grow us in our understanding a little bit this morning and, and grow us in our capacity to do great relationships together, particularly with those who find themselves navigating life alone. And the first thought I want us to consider is how single people experience belonging. Belonging. As an expression of our relational God DNA, we all desire belonging. It's one of our driving needs, a sense of connectedness and groundedness, of being anchored and being embraced. Those of you who are in marriages and families, you actually experience an innate sense of belonging that you might not even consider because of how innate it is. <laughs> the fact that you share a last name with other people. The fact that you can speak in we instead of I. You know, experts are actually predicting loneliness to be the most significant, next, next significant health epidemic like obesity or smoking or other social health issues. In the UK, they appointed a minister for loneliness to their government because they've recognised how significant this need is and the associated implications of it. There's um, you know, a whole lot of, of things that could be contributing to that and, and there's a lot of attribution of blame goes to social media, um, which may be true, but I wonder if what we're seeing in social media is not the is not causing the problem, but it's revealing the problem. That people are desperate for connection and they're desperate for relationship and they'll go wherever they can find it. The need for belonging and relationship is strong. So here's an experience I can relate to personally and it's an idea that meets with deep resonance wherever I share it, and that is the challenge of arriving somewhere alone. Of arriving somewhere alone. As we mentioned earlier, I'm an extrovert. And for those of you who don't know the difference, an extrovert is like solar powered and an introvert is battery powered, right? So an introvert gains energy 
internally so they can withdraw and retreat and that's actually where they'll energize themselves. An extrovert gains energy from outside of themselves and from other people and so that's me. I'm just like walking around just like zapping power from people as I go. I love that, I love that, I love that, thank you. The more alone I am, the more de-energized I become. And so living alone is quite challenging for me. But I have stayed home by myself from parties or other events rather than having to arrive somewhere by myself. The, it's hard walking into a room where, you know, conversations are already existing and there's connections and I'm wondering where am I going to fit in, who will talk to me, where do I belong. If you go there with someone else, at, you know, with your partner or something, at least you have this default person that you can just like go and stand near them and even if you're not in the conversation, it kind of looks like you are, right? So just like your default hang around person. But speaking practically then, what does that look like? How does the church family be family to those without family? It could be as simple as a text to a single friend to say, hey, are you going tonight? Can we go together? Or I'll meet you at the front and we'll walk in together. Or I'm already inside, but I've saved you a spot. Come find me. You know, just simple things like that. A friend told me that her church deliberately, when they do community meals, they'll, set, they'll seat the tables with uneven numbers of seats so that when a single person comes to join the group, they don't feel like they're taking up half the spot of where a couple might otherwise sit. Just simple little ideas of ways you might help single friends feel a bit more connected and help them get over that hump, over that bump of, of, of the obstacle of getting to places. And so then once they're in, the further connection and all those things can happen, but, but making that difficult time a lot easier. Recently, you know, I've bought a new home, so I'm in the process of move, decluttering and packing to relocate. <laughs> Lord have mercy, like, it's a big thing. But there are some seriously adult decisions that need to take place when you're doing like adult things, like house changing and the lot, a lot of stuff. And so in, if you consider this idea of belonging and how a married person might experience family in other ways, there are so many ways this need expresses itself. And in this very practical season of my life, I have needed a lot of other people to help me navigate the adulting. Of, of this season. I had a friend, Nancy, who came to all the open houses with me to help me ask the question, is this the house that was going to do what you want it to do and help you live how you want to live? And asking, you know, reminding me that when you bid on a house, you actually have to pay the number that you say at the end. It's not just about winning, right? <laughs> now they do auctions online. This is new open negotiation thing. And so I'm just like, 5,000, 5,000, 5,000. You have to pay it. Oh. But a friend of mine, Jono, he came with me and he was looking at things like electricity and plumbing and slope of the floor and all those sorts of things while I was like, oh, pretty mirror, you know, that kind of stuff. Another friend, Dave, he came with me um, to a couple of auctions and eventually he bid on the at the auction where I got the house. So he bought the house. So I'm going to tell him that when the bill comes. But... Um, but all of those moments of processing options and making choices and weighing up possibilities, they're really hard to do alone. And so similarly, if you consider the type of conversations that happen in your family on a day daily basis, the debriefing of your workday or talking through a difficult relationship challenge or decision, planning a project, what do those things look like for a single person? When they're living alone, how do we as family step into that gap of being the person that helps somebody else do their processing? 
I mentioned my new little friend Mabel, and it's her dad Dave that came to the auction with me. And this is a family that have been really intentional about actually being family to me and allowing me to be family to them. And in their house now, I have a pair of slippers. And Mabel keeps them in her cupboard. And every time she hears me at the door, she rushes to her room and she pulls them out for me to put on. And it's the signal when I come that I can take off my shoes. And it's this phys- quite a, a significant transition, if you think about it, this physical representation or expression of an emotional relaxing. I can put my feet up on the couch. You know, I can just jump into the craziness of their world because I'm in the, the comfort of slippers in their, in their home. And single people need those spaces where we're not just a guest, where we're not an imposition, but we're actually a welcome inclusion in the lives of others, belonging. And so many times when I speak this, I have families come up to me and say, I never realised that probably the greatest gift I have to offer my single friends is the absolute manic, chaotic nature of my home, right? Just that normalness, normalcy. It's, it's, some, it's a gift that you have to give to singles because they can't be that alone. Another of the realities I've had to process as I've been journeying this single life is that in all of my relationships with married friends, I will always need them more than they need me. Obviously, we all need someone else to, in order to do relationships. They're a multiplayer game. You can't do that by yourself. But when you're in a marriage or family, there's a natural level of relationship that is part of your normal life. So you wake up in the same house, there's incidental conversations and interactions. It could just be silent company while watching TV or the comfort of just knowing that there's people around. Um, Even when there's tension or strain in your house, that's actually an indication that there's a relationship happening, right? Because there's someone to be strained or tense with or about. But your relational tank is filled to some degree. And so when you go looking for friendships or interactions, it's actually just a top-up of that. It's a, it's a bonus filling. It's an extra. Every relational um, interaction for me happens outside my home or it happens as an organised invitation for someone to come over. My relational tank otherwise is naturally empty. Now, just, yes, just the other day, I was um, having this conversation with my friend Nancy about that, and we were talking about it, and she's married with um, one young child, and we would both be... at least one of each other's closest friends. And, you know, that means we probably message each other daily or tag each other in some random meme. And when it comes to spending time together, we we do something regularly with her family, but then it could be a couple of weeks before we actually get, you know, some real quality time together. Um, But for her, that's a great relationship tank top-up. She loves that. You know, she's energised by what she gets from it and also by what she knows she gives to me in that. But, and so she doesn't need a lot of those relationships on top of the feeling she gets from her husband and her daughter and her home life. But for me, when I'm having that one moment with her, that might be my only relational input and output for a season, for a day, for that night, for the week, for several days, however it might look. So I need that relationship more than she does. I need her more than she needs me. And as we talked about that, it's not a slight on her. I'm not not sort of like, you know, we didn't fight about that. (laughs) There's a clear expression. I know that she loves me and appreciates our friendships, and I don't doubt that at all. But it's just the reality. I need that more than she does. And if we're booked in to have dinner together then, and she has to cancel, that's a greater cost to my relational tank than it would have been to hers. 
If your family invites me for dinner, but for some reason you have to cancel that, you still have family dinner. But then that's a completely different shift of experience for me. It's just maths, like it's relational tank science, right? That's how it works. But so what does that mean? What's the question there? For the single person, what it means is that we need to maintain a lot of relationships to ensure our output and our input are sufficient for us to experience the kind of human connection we're built for. We've got to maintain a lot of relationships. Even for me, as a highly extroverted and socially and relationally competent person, that can be exhausting. That's a lot, of, a lot to balance to ensure that we can, you know, that there's enough of those once a week and once every fortnight and once a month that sort of add together to, to make the relationship spread across my day-to-day -day life keep at a healthy level. And the title of my book, as we said, is What We Cannot Be Alone, and it reflects this idea that it doesn't matter how independent or strong or capable or determined a single person might be, they can't be family alone. They can't do it by themselves. We are entirely reliant on other people to, to help us be what we're designed to be. We are designed to, <coughs> excuse me, we are designed to experience our, for ourselves, but also about what we're designed to help others experience, to be to others as a give and a take in that. And it actually makes single people highly vulnerable. That's a great risk attached to the reality that we probably need you more than you need us. So back to the bigger question about being family to those without family, we remember again that your family and this family is something that's meant to draw others in, to share the experience of relationship, to give and receive all that God wants for us. And after chatting with Nancy about this, she said, I don't think I've ever really considered how much my relationship tank is incidentally filled and how that shapes how many friends I need and how often I go seeking to engage with them. And that might be a point for some of you who are married or in families to consider for yourselves today. And singles, may I encourage you to identify and own that reality. I spoke this at a church recently and someone came up to me and said, oh, I always, this explains it. She said, I just always feel so needy. Like I'm, I'm the one who I need, you know, like I feel like a bit of a, a leech attaching to the people in my life. But this kind of articulates that out. But you do, you need others, single people. It's risky, it can be exhausting, it takes intentionality and purpose, but you can curate the kinds of relationships that will allow you to receive and to give the love and belonging and serving and fulfillment and purpose and joy and all the things that you need. How does church family be family to those without family? That we looked at the need for belonging, chatting through that challenge of the relational imbalance, and I've just got one more idea for us to consider. Who's seen the movie Finding Dory? It's a bit old now. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were my people. We're introduced to this character in the movie Finding Dory. He's named Bailey, and Bailey is a beluga whale. Now, I know that beluga whales are like real actual things in the real actual world, but there's also this world called Disney Pixar, and I'm much more comfortable with that. And so we're just going to talk about it in that context. It makes much more sense to me. But Bailey is in the Marine Life Institute because he thinks his echolocator is broken. 
And it turns out that his social skills are actually working quite fine. It's just that he has to do some personal work to overcome some trauma and process some emotions and just allow him to be the best version of himself. <laughs> Sorry for the spoiler. But anyway, the idea of echolocation or biosonar is that animals like like Bailey, or like the beluga whale, um, they send out this call and listen for the echo to locate and identify objects around them. So how does that relate to singleness, you, I hear you ask? It doesn't, I just want to talk about Disney. No, it does. It does, it does. Essentially, we as humans are all using a form of biosonar to navigate our way through life. We're constantly pinging off against the people around us so that we, you know, the sound that they send back helps us to understand where we are located and also how we are being experienced by other people. To that end, here's an observation. Married people spend more time with people that annoy them. Married, don't look, at, don't look sideways. Married people spend more time with people that annoy them. And it's not, you know, this is it's truth. In the fine print of your marriage contract, and let's face it, who reads the fine print? But it's there. It says that you have to put up with really annoying stuff, right? It says that you have to put up with stuff like someone who wants the heater on a higher temperature than, than you do, or someone who snores or has a different sleeping pattern than you, or somebody barracks for a different football team or someone who has some weird hobby or collection that obsesses, they obsess about. Again, eyes forward, eyes forward, shh, don't know, just stay focused up here. Um, I don't need to go on, you know what marital difference looks like, right? But it's in those differences and the relating patience and compromise and forgiveness and negotiation and apologizing and all the things that happen that in a regular part of healthy growing relationships and healthy growing people that you are actually developed and matured and refined, right? I would imagine that any of you who are married would testify to the fact that your marriage is probably one of the key relationships that has shaped your character, right? For better or worse, right? It's, it's how it works. It's the iron sharpening iron that scripture refers to or the spurring one another on, this consent that we give in that contractual arrangement to another person to hold you accountable to getting on board with who God is shaping you to be and how he wants you to live. And it's a permission we give those we trust, those we feel safe with, to be the ones that bounce the echo back to us and help us know how we're being experienced outside of ourselves. And for a single person, when we come up against something we don't like in another person, when they challenge us about something not nice about ourselves or something like that, we can just walk away. There is no contract that obligates us to stay. And we're not, we are not committed to stay or we don't have to stay in those places that are uncomfortable for us or that are not enjoyable for us, and that is to our detriment. Single people, that is to our detriment. Because it's in those relationships that we're refined. Our edges are smoothed off. It's in the, the conflict of compromise and negotiation, of wounding and being wounded and for, apologizing and forgiving. That's where, you know, the truth is spoken in love and where people who are for us help us to know how we're experienced outside of ourselves. 
and they raise little flags to tell us that we're diverting from the path where we're our best selves or where others around us get to flourish because of our presence, not be um, held back or impacted neg negatively. And married people probably don't need, really need to make that an intentional arrangement. I feel like your spouse will probably just tell you when you smell or they'll tell you, you know, when you're talking too loud or that you made a bad choice or that there was a perfectly fine car park right here, right? <laughs> if anything, maybe the challenge is to make those echoes a little bit more gentle in the season with a little bit more grace. <laughs> but, but for singles, without intentionality, we can wander through life quite oblivious to the impact that we're having on those around us, how people perceive us or receive us, you know, aspects of our character that are a bit prickly or difficult for others to navigate, those blind spots which are, by definition, not able to be seen by us other than with the help of an external view. Singles, we need to be deliberate about nurturing relationships and spaces where we can receive feedback from trusted sources. We need to be intentional about pursuing those relationships. We have to have people that we commit to stay with despite what they might tell us about ourselves. We need to be to others what they need in that, even if they don't particularly want it. And you know, to be the voice that says, you know what, I love you too much to let you keep making bad choices or react inappropriately or chew with your mouth open or whatever it is that's happening that's not being well received. I love you too much to let you keep doing things that are stopping your own development or that are making you hard to be around. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you this truth and I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to keep loving you while we work through it. I'm by your side and I'm on your side. Singles need people like that in their world. And that idea of echo translation, it actually translates to the physical as well. There's a, a reality for the single person that we can go through life without any physical contact that locates us in space, even without, even without considering the intimacy of that, just the physical bumping into people. If you think about your home life, you, you bump into each other a lot, even if it's just tapping someone to move so you can get a teaspoon out of the drawer, you know, just those little kinds of touches. As a single person, I can genuinely go days without making contact with another human being. Church family, how do we be safe places where people can experience themselves in space? How do we offer that to one another? And, and there's a whole another conversation to be had there for singles about how we understand our need for intimacy and what that looks like to navigate as a solo person. But I think that's kind of enough for us today. We have, where have we been? Start thinking, what might God actually be saying to you personally about this conversation? How can the church family be family to those without family? And singles, we get to be family as well as experience family. This is a message for us all. You know, consider the idea of belonging. What does it look like to that whole process of arriving alone and how can we be part of that conversation? What does it look like to help people navigate decision-making and processing when they're living by themselves? What does it look like to offer relaxed social spaces where people, single people can experience family in a way that they just cannot do alone? We looked at that idea of the reality of relational imbalance, that, that married and singles come to friendship with different levels in their relational tank and therefore a different vulnerability or need for that relationship. 
And then this idea our dear friend Bailey reminds us of, of this need for this external perspective. What does it look like to, to locate ourselves both physically and socially in space to understand how we're being experienced by one another? Let me pray for you, for us in this space. Father God, how great your love that you have lavished upon us that we would be called your children. And that is what we are. This incredible thing it is that you draw us into your family. That as we come closer to you, as we lean into to the truth and reality of who you are and all you are, God, that we would be drawn closer to one another as well. And then as we experience that belonging and that sense of connectedness, that, that, that we can turn and draw others into that same space. Father, I pray for each of us here and that there's a, a different experience and expression of this story happening on, in every seat this morning. God, for some there is um, singleness that, is, that carries with it incredible grief, whether that's through broken marriage or through um, the death of a spouse, God, where, or even if it's through the, the sense of living um, single when that's not their choice, God, that there can be an incredible amount of brokenness around that. So I would pray that now, by your spirit, you administer your healing and, and your comfort into those hearts, even now, God, that there would be a sense of, of um, calm and peace and, and knowing that they're experiencing just right now. God, I pray for all of us who, who desire to be part of your, your family expression um, in our biological families, in our community, in the church community, wherever you would lead us. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? that we would be able to identify the, the need in others? Would you give us boldness to ask tough questions? Would you give us that, um, the, the drive to, to walk into potentially uncomfortable conversations, Lord, to, to get to the truth and to get to the, the heart of the need that we would truly be to one another family? that each person, regardless of their own experience of family, would find a place of connection and belonging of being fully known and fully loved. Father, I pray that as you shift things in our thinking and as each person here responds to whatever it is that you're placing on their heart, that this would be a, a community, the Door of Hope would be an incredible community where others see this great sense of connectedness and belonging that is experienced by all. Not in any sort of exclusive way, Lord, but in a way that just draws others in. God, we look forward to seeing how you'll impact this part of the world because of that shift, because of that, that um, orienting of our attention and the focus of our hearts, God, would we be ones that would pay the price of understanding, that wisdom would find its place and, and your love would be able to be expressed in all of its depth and in all of its strength, we pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.